of just going back into church history. And, and as we're about to launch some, some pretty amazing vision here in, in just a few weeks, we thought, let's go back. Let's see where God has taken us. 2024 marks the 90th year of Aberdeen First Assembly. 90 years that God has been faithful, that God has been using uh, this church to reach this community and to reach the globe. And so uh, we've got a little bit of church history that we want to go back in. And so you guys ready for some story time with some cool pictures? You guys, you guys ready to go there? So uh, this is going to play right into our message today. So let me, uh, let's start with this. 90 years, right? And we're going to look at about the first 30 years today. We're going to break it down to about 30-year chunks uh, these next few weeks before we jump into the message. So it was the dirty 30s in South Dakota. The Dust Bowl days and the, desperation, or, and the depression gripped the northern plains. But in the hearts of some, there was not depression, but there was an impression of the work of the Holy Spirit. Eight families that God had miraculously, with cords of love, drawn out of the world and sanctified with his own blood and baptized with the Holy Spirit became the Aberdeen Gospel Tabernacle. That was our original name. Did you know we were a church plant once? Think about that, right? We didn't... Maybe you didn't think about it. Maybe you think, man, Aberdeen First Assembly has just always been here. No, 90 years ago, we were a church plant. And so in April 1934, Pastor Harold James and his wife of Watertown felt impressed to move to Aberdeen. They and their two young children lived on rice and corn in crowded conditions, but knew the blessing and provision of the Lord. Brother Clarence Jensen came and held a tent revival on South Main Street. Neighbors complained. But the meetings lasted several weeks. The church grew and, and hopped from building to building wherever they could meet. Uh, Sister James did most of the preaching, and Brother James was the prayer warrior who took care of the children. The Lord laid Westport on their hearts, and in response to meetings there, several were brought into the church. And after two years, the Jameses felt called to evangel evangelistic ministry. So in 1936... Brother P.T. Emmett and his wife came to be the pastors of the church. They brought with them Sister Maud Krieger to be an assistant pastor. Brother Emmett was a real promoter of Sunday school. There were tent meetings on North Main in the summers of 1936 and 37. We were still very much a nomadic church. <clears throat> but in the summer of 1937, Aberdeen Gospel Tabernacle built their first church building, a basement church across the street from the Civic Theater. There was sawdust for the floor and two stoves, one in the front and one in the back. The heating system was not very satisfactory. It was almost like a smokehouse. We've got it good here today, right? The restrooms were non-existent. They were at the police station two blocks away. But there was a good spirit, and the church was growing. Brother Emmett continued the work in Westport, and they saw more converts in 1937 and 38. And on April 7th, 1938, Aberdeen Gospel Tabernacle was officially recognized by the Assembly of God. So during this time, uh, Brother Emmett also started a daily radio broadcast called Gospel Tidings. Gospel Tidings, a daily radio broadcast from the basement of the church. It was well received in the church group. On the Saturday morning broadcast, there was a wonderful choir of boys and girls and by this time, the basement church was, was not too satisfactory, as you can imagine. Uh, it was finished, floors were installed, a, a restroom, praise the Lord, and uh, a crude nursery and a prayer room. Curtains were hung up to divide the Sunday school classes. But when it rained, 
water poured in. Don't you love Aberdeen, right? Just basements. We just fill them with water. It says the radio staff would stand in water to broadcast or on boards to keep their feet from getting wet. Uh, pretty incredible stuff. And then in, uh, this, is, this is a pretty remarkable date, May 25th, 1941, Aberdeen Gospel Tabernacle hit a record attendance for Sunday school, 512 in that little basement church, 512 people in Sunday school. How? I don't know how they did that. I don't know where they'd put everybody, but they, they did. And I really like their slogan up here. I think we should maybe bring this back. Children brought up in Sunday school are seldom brought up in court. I don't know, what do you think? Should we, should we bring that, that slogan back? I kind of like it. So I knew that it was an amazing Sunday school program, you know, that, that God was using to, to reach kids here in, Ab- in Aberdeen. But, you know, for all the triumphs, there was also some tragedies as well. In January 1942, tragedy struck the church. Uh, brother and sister Emmett uh, were working hard. She was a wonderful pianist. She began having severe headaches in her and uh, her fingers at time would be so puffy and thick that she would cry and tell her husband she didn't know if she could continue to play the piano. Said Brother Emmett was under a heavy strain as he was up at night caring for her and then also carrying the load of a growing church. At one service at which she was not present, he asked for prayer for her. He said, unless God heals her, we are going to be with one less. And then one Thursday morning after the radio broadcast, she and Brother Emmett were in a men's clothing shop store shopping for a suit. She developed a terrible headache. After going home, they called the doctor, and after seeing her, he said she would be all right, but 10 hours later, she was gone. The church was in shock. She died at age 27. After the burial, Brother Emmett was often found crying and playing records of his wife playing and singing. He was sad and alone, but continued the work faithfully. Sometime later, Brother Emmett remarried. Uh, He married Catherine Williams and And it seemed that through all of this, the Lord's blessing continued, and Brother Emmett made plans to improve the the basement, the flooded basement. During this time, Brother Emmett was elected district superintendent of the Assemblies of God for South Dakota. He had also become interested in flying, which seemed to be recreation for him, but also helped him to go from church to church in South Dakota and and do his duties as uh, superintendent. And so he purchased a small plane. And in, in 1946... Uh, the board uh, decided to sell the basement church to uh, Mr. K. O. Lee, uh, that may, name may ring a bell, uh, to be transferred to the school board for a park project. I think they turned it into tennis courts, actually. And uh, at that time, they purchased the lot on 4th and J Street. And architect drawings were prepared, and they had a big groundbreaking ceremony on June 2nd, 1946. It was a big day, and and excavating was supposed to happen on June 10th, uh, the following week. But again, even in the midst of this exciting time on on June 2nd, the groundbreaking of the new church, tragedy struck the church again. See, just seven days after the groundbreaking ceremony, on Saturday, June 8th, 1946, the Reverend Emmett and his assistant reverend, James Holland, flew to Yankton to the care of South Dakota district business. On the return trip, they decided to stop for dinner with some friends at Woonsocket. They landed at the farm, and after they had visited and eaten, they took off. But the plane did not climb as high as it needed, and, and the extended landing gear caught on the telephone wires. The friends saw several poles broken, but the plane floundered and crashed. The plane exploded and caught fire. Both Pastor Emmett and Brother Holland were killed in the crash. The following day was Sunday. The congregation gathered as usual 
there was praying, and there was weeping. The funeral for a brother Emmett and brother Holland was held in the Civic Theater. A large crowd attended, and the theater was almost filled with friends from Aberdeen, many from the radio broadcast audience, and the congregation. And Catherine Emmett took up her husband's work, and with the aid of Dorothy Price, Arlene Kranzler, and Jeanne Stevenson, continued the work until the fall of 1946. I, I love the, the history of women in ministry in this church. You know, the, our first pastor, the, the wife was the one who preached. Right, we, uh, our second pastor brought along an associate, uh, Pastor Maud. Um, we had four women who stepped up in the face of the death of their pastor, and they, they took the reins and said, let's keep going forward with the mission that God's called us to. And then in the fall of 1946, Reverend Silas Rex wrote, and his wife with their two children, Charlotte and Donna, uh, came as the next pastors of uh, Aberdeen Gospel Tabernacle. The church was renamed to the Assembly of God Tabernacle under Pastor Rex wrote, and they continued to meet in the basement church. The Sunday school program continued strong, and, and Pastor Rex wrote, continued the radio program that Brother Emmett had started, and things were, were looking up for this 14-year-old church. Now, meanwhile, the building that they had uh, started, that they had broken ground on, continued to face setback after setback. Aberdeen... Uh, Assembly of, of God Tabernacle faced much opposition as they continued to build the church on 4th and J Street. There was protests and lawsuits, uh, all things filed on parking lots and zoning codes and ordinances and all these different things were being held up. Uh, we had World War II going on, all these different things that just kind of slowed progress uh, of the church. But in 1947, they finally laid the cornerstone of the church and, and building progressed. In 1949, the church was finally finished. Brother Rex wrote pastored for five years here before he was voted in as the South Dakota District Superintendent, and, and he moved, I believe, to Mitchell to fulfill his duties. So in 1951, uh, Reverend Theodore Murphy was called in as the next pastor. He was a gifted man behind the pulpit and spent much of his time on his sermons and with God says that under Pastor Murphy's leadership, the sanctuary was completed, and after five years, he was called to be the pastor at Billings, Montana. So uh, you've got the picture of the board up there, and, and uh, they, they continued progress with the sanctuary. They had the outer structure built, but uh, Brother Murphy helped uh, continue the work on the inside of the building. And then in 1956, Reverend David Geist, a native of Aberdeen, was pastoring in Huron and doing a wonderful work there. He was, called to pass to the ch or he was called to pastor the church in Aberdeen, and he accepted. This was, again, a, a lot of finishing work that he had to do in the building, a ceiling in the youth room, Sunday school rooms completed, and new pews and a pulpit were purchased, and Brother Geist's ministry was rich and profitable when he uh, also served as the assistant district superintendent. Uh, one of the ministries that we found some pictures of was they hosted a cowboy VBS. So we got photos of that. So we, we've got... Uh, some fun stuff that we got up there. And in fact, I was talking with, with one member of the church and they said they got saved at this service. That, that, was, that was the first time uh, they looked back and, and what are the odds? I was like, hey, do you know when this picture is from? Yeah, I got saved then. You know, how, how awesome is that? The work that God has done throughout the years. And so uh, Brother Geis was with us till 1960 before he, he took a pastorate in Arizona. So this is approximately the first 30 years of our, of our church history here at AFA. 
Uh, it started out as Aberdeen Gospel Tabernacle. It turned into the Assemblies of God Tabernacle. Just wait. Pretty soon you'll hear it be called the First Assembly of God. I don't know when we got first in our name, but it, it's coming up. And uh, what's pretty neat is uh, next, uh, next week we'll look at, we went from a radio broadcast to a live TV show. Right? We had, we had an assembly time TV uh, that we'll talk about next week. So we thought we were really cool when we started live streaming in 2020, but we were live streaming in 1960. Um, you know, so we, we've been around for a while. But it, it's amazing to see God's faithfulness over the years. It, it's amazing to, to look back and to see what, what God has done, to see just the vision that God put on the heart of, of uh, Pastor James and his wife and, and their heart for Aberdeen and these eight families, right, who, who wanted to start something big, who, who God impressed on them, the Holy Spirit, and they wanted Aberdeen to know the Holy Spirit all the way back in 1934. So why do we show this? Why do we go through these, these 90 years? Why do we take time to, to pause and look back? It's because I believe that should Jesus not return yet, that that God's got another 90 years ahead of us, that he's going to do great and powerful things, and they're going to be even bigger than the last 90 years. See, I, I believe that, that we've got greater dreams here than we do have memories of the past. So God has got incredible things. And, and here's the big point that I want to make today. right? Our, our memories of the past, they can do one of two things. They can trap us, and we can try to live in the past. We can try to go back to the way it was. We can try to go back to having 512 in Sunday school. And we can try to go back to having a radio broadcast. And we can get trapped in the past and the methods of the past. Or we can look back and see the faithfulness of God in these last 90 years. And we can use that to propel us into the future. Right? We can use that to see, man, if God was faithful then, then I believe that he can be faithful again. So today, what I want you to do, if you could open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We're, we're calling this little series, uh, Taking the Promised Land. Taking the Promised Land. And so as you turn into Exodus chapter 3, let me give you a little bit of, of context here. Uh, in Genesis, we go through the stories of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel, right? That's where we get uh, the Israelites from. That's where we get the country of Israel from. These were God's chosen people. God had made a promise to Abraham. He said that I'm going to give you the land that you're standing on right now. And that land was the land of Israel. He told the same promise uh, to Isaac. He told the same promise to Jacob. He, he promised him, this is the land that you're going to dwell in. This is the land for my people. But then we come on the story of Joseph, Jacob's son, his favorite son. And Joseph's sold into slavery. He's sent to Egypt. He's in a prison in Egypt. Things aren't looking too good. I mean, these are incredible stories. Read the book of Genesis. I mean, you won't be bored. And, uh, and we see that, that all of a sudden, that even out of great tragedy, that, that God takes him from the prison to the number two in charge, right, right next to Pharaoh. And in a time of famine, he is able to actually rescue his family, the Israelites, and uh, provide them food, provide them a place to live in Egypt, the land of Goshen, and it was all good. Things were, things were looking up for them. They were, they were safe. But then Exodus starts 400 years after Genesis ends. And in those 400 years, all of a sudden, the Israelites are now slaves in the land of Egypt, and things aren't looking so good. And, and they've become trapped, and now they're crying out to God, God, help us. 
God, remember that promise that you made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Remember that promised land that you God, where is that at? God, would you free us? God, we need your help. So they're crying out. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord responds. He's talking to, to Moses here. Verse 7 says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So the Israelites, they had, they had quite the history, right? They had both triumph and tragedy in their history. I mean, these were God's chosen people. God had given them promises. God had told them they're, they're going to be here, right? They, they had been through tragedy. They had been through famine, but yet God provided. Uh, you know, Joseph was sold as a slave, but God provided and brought him to a place of power, to a, a, a unique place that he would be able to rescue people in. Right? They've been in slavery. They've, they've been up and down. They've seen all these different things. And God's message to them in here was, I haven't forgotten my promise. I haven't forgotten the promise that I made you. I haven't forgotten the promised land. I've heard your cries, and I have more for you. I have more for you than those chains. I have more for you than just slavery. I have more for you than, than what's behind you. He says, I've got a good land. I've got a spacious land. I've got a fruitful land ahead of you. You know, 90 years ago, like we mentioned, God, God put a dream on the James's heart, right, on those eight families, and, and, and they believed for a move of the Holy Spirit in Aberdeen like we've never seen before. That's what they believed for. And you know what? I believe that that dream is still alive. I believe that, that God has more that he wants to do to see that dream fulfilled. He wants to see a move of the Holy Spirit in Aberdeen like we have never seen before. We're not there yet, but I believe that it is coming. You see, God has a promised land for AFA. He has promised land to us. He has promised land. He's promised us more territory in, in Aberdeen. I believe that. He's got vision ahead for us. There is more ahead. He, he wants to give you territory. He wants to give this church territory. I'm not talking physical land. It's not like we're going to start buying property. But you know what? The territory that he wants us to take is the, you know, the Bible talks about fertile soil in people's lives. You know, some are fertile. You know, some, some, some soils are, are hard. But I believe there's a lot of soil in Aberdeen. There's a lot of hearts that we need to plant the gospel in. So I believe that, that there's territory that God wants to take in your family. I believe that there's territory that God wants you to take in your workplace. I believe that there's territory that God wants to, us to take in our city and in our nation and around this globe because God is not done moving yet. There is more ground to take. God has promised land for us here in Aberdeen. And I'm believing that he has great things that we're going to be able to plant the gospel in hearts and, live, hearts and lives all across our region. See, Aberdeen has... A, uh, or AFA has a rich history, and God has moved in amazing ways. But I, I firmly believe that the best is yet to come for AFA. So again, we're, we're sharing vision in three weeks. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. 
but I believe that God is going to help us to reach our, our city and our communities in ways that we've never done before. I believe that we're going to experience a greater level of, and, and a greater presence of God than we've ever experienced before. And it all started 90 years ago, but God's not done yet. He's just getting started. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. There's more ahead. We can't even imagine what God has for us. We can't even begin to think. We're just scratching the surface of what God wants to do in our city and in our communities. There are greater promises ahead. There's land to be had. There's a promised land to be had. So, this series is all talking about how do we prepare ourselves to take the promised land, right? How do we prepare ourselves to, to go take ground in our city and hearts and lives? How do we prepare ourselves? So we're going to look back at the Israelites and see uh, what had to happen because they took, they took a 40-year journey. It took 40 years for them to prepare themselves to enter the promised land. It didn't take 40 years to, to walk there by any means, but it took 40 years for their hearts to be ready to go and take the land. Now, I'm praying that it won't take us 40 years, right, to go take ground in Aberdeen, but, but I know it's going to be a journey. I know it's going to be a process, and I think that as we look at the Israelites, that we can learn some valuable lessons that may speed up that process so we can be ready to take ground in our city, to, to take the promised land. But you know what? It wasn't an easy journey for the Israelites, and they went through some tough stuff. They went through some difficult situations. Uh, they, they saw... They saw good things, they saw rough things, they saw God's provision, his protection, they, they saw his presence along the way. I mean, they, they immediately, when they walked out, first they saw ten plagues come and uh, just take down the Egyptians. They were able to walk out with all the Egyptian stuff, so they saw God's provision. They saw the Red Sea splitting, right? They, they get out there, so they're seeing all of these miracles, they're seeing all these uh, great things that God was doing. But you know what, just a month maybe a month and a half into the journey, even after seeing all these good things that God was doing, Exodus 16, verse 3 tells us this. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now isn't this crazy? Here you have people who are crying out, God, save us! God, bring us to the promised land. God, we don't want to be in slavery anymore. God, we don't want to be in chains anymore. God, would you set us free? And so God sets them free, and he shows them his provision. I mean, literally, he puts his presence right there. He puts a pillar of cloud by, by day and a pillar of fire by night that they follow. But yet, just a month and a half in the journey, things get hard. Things get tough. They don't have much food. And so they cry out, God, send us back to Egypt. Send us back where we came from. Send us back. Send us back. You know what? As we move forward in the promises of God, things often get harder than easier. I want you to think about that. As we launch vision, I, I promise you, things are going to get harder, not easier. Because, you know what? The devil doesn't like it. When, when we go try to take territory, he's been in for far too long. It's not his territory. He's just occupied it. It's God's territory. And we need to go take that promised land. And things are going to get hard. Things are going to get difficult. And what we need to learn is as things get difficult, because they will, there's going to be spiritual battles. There's going to be spiritual attacks. But we need to keep our eyes forward, right? We need, to, we need to not look back. Oh, if we could just go back to the way church used to be, 
right? If we could just, if we could just go back, right? If we could just go back to, you know, doing Sunday school like we did in the 30s, right? If we could just go back to having a radio broadcast every day, man, let's go back. Let's go back. If we could, if we could just do it this way, let's, let's go back. And there's always going to be that temptation because moving forward, it's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. There's going to be things that are uncomfortable as we reach new people that, that we've never reached before. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And there's going to be that temptation that rises up inside of you like the Israelites that says, let's go back. It was nicer back then. It was comfortable. Right? We were used to those. Things. We had pots of meat. But here's the thing. Right? We could go back and we could say, remember when, remember when, remember when we did this. And oh, let's go back. But don't get caught up in the remember when trap. Don't get caught up in the remember when trap. It's, it's easy to do. The temptation, let's go back, it's a strong one. Right? Remember when everything was perfect. And we have, we have a problem of, uh, we're really good at romanticizing the past. Right? And just seeing things like, oh, it was just so much better. Well, no, don't you remember, right? You didn't have a bathroom in that church, right? Don't you remember you didn't have, you know, all these different things that, that were popping up, but we like, to, we like to look at it through rose-colored glasses. We like to say, man, everything was great. Everything was perfect. Everything was wonderful. We can get caught into that journey. As the Israelites continued on, they, they continued to see God's power. They saw Moses meet with God on the mountain. Right? They saw God's power there. They, they were given the Ten Commandments. They were given uh, the directions to build the, the tabernacle right? and, and uh, the Ark of the Covenant, all these different things. They saw God move in an amazing way. They saw God send manna, right? this, this bread that just appeared like dew on the ground from heaven every day. They saw his provision out there, and, and God was doing incredible things. But yet just, uh, I believe it was just a, a couple years into the journey, just two years into the journey, Numbers chapter 11, Verse 4 tells us they fell back into this trap again. It says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. See, they've seen God move in power. But yet... They don't like it, right? Like, all we get is this manna, the same thing every day. Even though God's miraculously providing for them, they want to go back to that comfort food that they had, you know, back in Egypt. They want to go back. They're saying, remember when we had everything? Remember when? Like, remember you were slaves back then? Like, don't you remember? But they kept looking back at Egypt. How many of you know music is full of memories? Right? You ever had a song come on? I, I bet we could, we could play some songs here today, you know, maybe from your, your generation, your time, and the moment you hear that song, it would take you back to a place. Maybe your bedroom, maybe your car, maybe your school, right? Maybe just a specific place. Maybe you're with a specific person. Maybe it even brings smells back to you, right? Just the, the way that, that your car used to smell or whatever it might be. And it just takes you back to those places. Music's full of memories. Uh, same thing with worship music or, you know, an old hymn. Maybe you, you hear, hear an old song and, and it just takes you back to that place. It takes you back to that, maybe an altar. It takes you back to that, that time in your room and you were just worshiping God and, and it was a powerful moment. And that song takes you back. Uh, I know there, there's a song that always takes me back to a specific place. Uh, that song, I love you, Lord, 
and I lift my voice to worship you, all my soul. Right? That, that song. It brings me back every time. Uh, it brings me back to a specific place. It brings me back to a youth conference when I was a teenager. We were at a youth conference, and, and uh, youth conference at that time was just a Friday night, Saturday afternoon deal, and then go back home. And God was doing some powerful things at youth conference. Can't remember them all, but I know God was moving uh, and, and really changed my life. And uh, as we were about to go home, a snowstorm came. And uh, we couldn't leave, right? It was, it was too dangerous. And so uh, much to the parents' demise, we had to stay another day, right? I'm sure the youth pastor and all the leaders were thinking, like, how are we going to manage this? As a teenager, I'm thinking, this is great. I get to spend another night in a hotel, right? This is awesome. I don't get out much. But now we get to do this. We're snowed in with all my friends. Like, this is great. And so we're staying in that hotel, and Sunday morning comes along, and we're snowed in, so we can't really go to church or anything. We don't have any more services. And, and so they're trying to figure out, hey, what do we do? And, and so our youth pastor gathers, you know, 20, 30 teenagers in a small hotel room, you know, two queen beds. You know, we've got people are sitting on the floor, sitting on the bed. I mean, it's packed in there. It's hot in there. It smells in there. And we just go around and we start sharing Hey, what did God do in your life this weekend? And person after, like every person, it was just powerful. What God was doing, what God was speaking to them. And, and it was just an amazing time. And then all of a sudden, you know, at, at the end, they were just like, well, we should, let's, let's just worship God. And so we all started singing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And, and we just kept singing it over and over again. The leaders didn't have to continue singing. The students just continued singing and singing because nobody wanted to leave that place. Nobody wanted to leave that moment. God's presence fell in that smelly hotel room while we were snowed in. It was amazing. So anytime I hear that song, that's immediately what comes back to mind. Right? Now, here's the trap we could fall into. Here's the trap I could fall into. I could look at that and say, if we want God to move, then we got to get snowed in, in a hotel room, and we've got to sing, I love you, Lord, a cappella, right? And that's, that's how we're going to let God move. Or we could get stuck in, we've got to sing this song, right? If we sing this song, then God's presence will be here. But here's the fact of the matter, right? That day, we could have been singing Kumbaya, and God still would have shown up. It wasn't about the song. It was about we had 20, 20 people in that room who were hungry for God. And that's why God moved. And sometimes we can get stuck in the past and we can say, oh, man, it was just so good. Could we just go back, right? Could we go, if we just sang this song, then it would be perfect. But that's not what it's about. You see, God isn't looking for the same methods that we used 90 years ago to work, right? That, that's culture changes around us. Methods change, right? We look at what we were doing, the, the, the platform app. It's a different way to reach people. But you know when God moves? It's not because the worship's just perfect or the sermon's just right, it's because there's a room full of people who are hungry for God. That's when God shows up. That's when he moves. See, I believe God showed up 90 years ago because there was eight families who were hungry for more of the Holy Spirit, who were hungry for more of God. Do we still have eight families here today who are hungry for more of the Holy Spirit? Do we still uh, ha have a congregation who says, I want more, right? I, I, I want more. So we can't get stuck in that remember when trap. You know, it took, took one day, took one day for the Israelites to get out of Egypt, but it took 40 years 
for the Israelites to get Egypt out of them, for them to be ready to enter into the promised land, to take the promised land. Well, let me tell you what, once, once the Israelites finally removed Egypt from them, once they finally got rid of all the rabble, once they finally gave up that whole, like, let's go back, hey, remember when we had melons and garlic and all those different things, hey, once they got that out and they started focusing on, no, we've got Canaan's grapes ahead of us, right? We've, we've got to be ready for this thing. Once they did that, they crossed into uh, the promised land. Joshua is their leader at this time. And, and what's amazing is God used virtually the same miracle to get them out of Egypt. You know, the parting of the Red Sea, he got them into the promised land. They walked into the Jordan River and it stopped flowing. So it all backed up and they were able to cross on dry ground. And now here is where we see the right way to use our remember wins. Joshua chapter 4 verse 5 tells us this. So this is after they, they go through the, the Jordan. He says, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. You see the difference here? See, before the remember whens were, oh, remember when we had it so good? Remember when we, you know, we had all, remember when we were comfortable? But now the remember whens are, are a little bit different. Now when they look at those stones, they, they're not looking back saying, oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. No. Now they're saying, remember when God was faithful? Remember when God was faithful? Remember, remember when we were trying to cross into the promised land and God stopped the flow of the Jordan and we walked through on dry ground? Remember when our clothes didn't run out in the desert? Remember when God gave us manna from heaven? Remember when God sent quails down? Remember when God brought water from a rock? Remember when God delivers us out of Egypt? And they can point to their children and say, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. You see, we need to use our remember whens to build our faith for the future. That's how we use our remember whens. You see, that's what we need to be doing now. We look back at our church history because now we can say, hey, remember when there was eight families who were hungry and desperate for Jesus and God used them to plant the church? Remember when we didn't have a building, but then all of a sudden God provided a basement church? Hey, remember when God was faithful and we reached 500 people for Sunday school? Hey, remember when... Remember when our lead pastor passed away in a plane crash and the associate pastor did too and God used four women inspired by the Holy Spirit to keep the church going? Remember when? Remember when God was faithful. If he did it before, he'll do it again. Remember when. And we allow our history, we allow uh, the remember whens to propel us into the future. So again, we've got two options today. We can allow our remember wins to trap us in the past. Or we can use our remember wins to propel us into the future. But church, I'm sharing with you today, we can't go back. We can't go back. We can't go back to a, the way things used to be. Because God's got greater things ahead. And we'll never embrace the greater things if we are just worried about our comfort. And we're worried about our preferences. Because we'll never go into the promised land if we just want to stay in our preferences. And we're going to be looking at, again, this 40-year journey some more over the next couple weeks. But I, I believe that God's got great things. God's got more in store in 2024. Right? That's a cheap line. 
but he does. It's true. He's got more for us. And so I believe um, that as we pray, as, as we look back, that he's going to use us and propel us, because there's, there's another 90 years ahead, another 90 years of ministry. I, I wish there was, there was more stories in our church history. You know, we see the, the names and the faces in the buildings, but I love hearing the stories of what God has done and how he, he miraculously, I, I love hearing the story, you know, that in the 1950s or 1960, uh, you know, God saved somebody at a cowboy VBS. I love that. God's moving, and I believe God wants to do more. God has more people out there in our community right now who may be at a KidCon 2024 for the first time with a bunch of dinosaurs in the church that God is, is going to come down and meet one of those kids. And they're going to look back at this 60 years from now and say, remember when? Remember when we had all those dinosaurs in the church? That's when God saved me. That's when I met my Savior. And so I just believe that God has more. God's got more for us. So let's not be satisfied with what, what we've been through. Let's honor the past. And let's use it to propel us forward. Would you stand with me? I just want to pray over you today. Uh, be sure, again, to check out uh, the Sanders booth before you leave today. If you want to help out with KidCon, uh, be sure to go to the Connections Room. You can sign up and see all the opportunities there. And, and just be praying. Be praying that, that God would continue to move uh, mightily, that, 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 that God would use our church not to just exist, but that we would have an effect everywhere we go on the world around us. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. God, I thank you, God, for 90 years of amazing history that you have been so faithful. People have come and people have left. Ministries have started, ministries have ended. We've used many different methods, but God, it's not about the methods. It's about the God, the God who's been faithful through it all. So Lord, may, may you find us faithful. May you find us faithful that we would continue to do the work that you've called us to. God, that we would continue to pray for a move of the Holy Spirit unlike we've ever experienced here in Aberdeen because, God, there's so many lives out there who don't know you. God, who are living in chains, who are living in darkness, and they don't realize there's a promised land ahead. So, God, would you help us to show them? Would you help us? Give us the words. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your power that we might spread the good news, not just in our city, but to the ends of the earth. So, Lord, I thank you. God, may we use our Remember Wednesday uh, not, to, uh, not to be stuck in the past, but God, to propel us forward. Oh, Lord, we give it to you. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that, that you have so much in store for us in this coming year. We pray your blessing on the people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.